We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With the Indiana Pacer fans, this is your boy Mike Focci wishing you a happy Friday. No Alex Golden today, but we will be joined by some fun guests. We have Eddie Gill, former Pacer, as well as uh, an analyst for Fox Sports Indiana right now, and a friend of the show, Keith Smith, who has contributed to Yahoo. Uh, He is a big Celtics guy, but always great uh, NBA coverage from Keith. So uh, today I thought we'd start off by covering... What happened last night? The Pacers went into Phoenix and pretty much just bullied the Suns for everything they wanted. The Pacers won 112-87. to The game was, I'm not going to say close because the Suns never led, but the Pacers were up 6 at halftime. And then after that, the Suns looked pretty lifeless. I'm not going to lie, but this game was best known as the T.J. Warren revenge game. T.J. Warren poured in 25 points on 11 of 18 shooting. He was guarding Kelly Oubre as well as Devin Booker, and he was playing some good defense on them because, guys, Devin Booker actually leads all players in scoring in the month of January. He was averaging over 30, but also averaging about 27 points per game on the year. Well, he was held to just 16 points last night, just two points in the second half, 
which makes you question, you know, what goes on when you look at those box scores and see he has 25 points in a 20-point loss. But, hey, look, some people are going to be thinking, the Phoenix Suns, aren't they trash? Yes, they're still trash, but they were 4-2 and two in their last six. And uh, TJ Warren made him pay because it looked like on a night like last night, they really could have used uh, TJ Warren. Because T.J. Warren was cooking. He had it going on. He also had DeMontis Sabonis adding 24-13 and 13 on the night. And uh, some awesome defense from Miles Turner. Four blocks. It looked like he was blocking pretty much everything. Because he got whistles for you know, a foul that should have been a block. And, and things like that. Turner, fantastic defense. But one of the things that was a little alarming, Malcolm Brogdon. Brogdon took an elbow to the head. Uh, did not return. Actually got a few stitches. Uh, was being tested for a concussion. Nate McMillan said he didn't seem, you know, good enough to return. I think the Pacers played it safe because uh, in the end, you know, you're talking about a, a near 30-point win. Uh, the Pacers obviously wanted to have Brogdon out there, but it wasn't a necessity. Uh, but I think Brogdon's going to be all right if we do have to rest him a game against Golden State coming up. I, I feel all right with that because it's just been one thing after another for Brogdon. So we just hope. We can get him right. The good thing is, is all of his injuries are pretty much unrelated, whether it's a finger or a concussion or a hamstring. The back and the hamstring, that's connected. But at the same point, different injuries. It's not like it's been one reoccurring injury. But the guy who filled in for him last night, TJ McConnell. I mean, I feel like I'm I'm like number one in the fan club now because I keep raving about him. But TJ McConnell has played fantastic basketball. The Pacers didn't skip a beat. When McConnell went out there, he finishes with a double-double. 10 points, 11 assists, 1 turnover. This guy shot 4 or 5 from the field. He's diving everywhere, making every play possible. It's infectious. I mean, it, the effort that TJ McConnell displays on a, on a nightly basis has to have everybody upping their intensity to the next level. And what I love is at one point he grabs Sabonis, starts just kind of yelling at him, but in a way to fire him up to let him know that Sharish can't guard him. He can't. And to just go over there and to just dominate him. And that's what Sabonis did. So we saw a, a pretty good performance overall for, from the team. I mean, guys like Jeremy Lamb, I really, I'm not, I, want, I don't want to say getting worried, but I really want him to be able to get back on track shooting-wise, just two of nine. But the bench, 45 points from the bench. McBuckets himself, 5 of 8 and 2 of 4 from 3-point land, just upping his 3-point percentage. So he's played great. Justin Holiday, it, it seems like that guy never misses a 3-pointer in the corners. He was 3 for 4 from 3 last night, finished with 11 points. Um, the play of McConnell was just something that I really just took away as just thinking, like, man, this guy, to have him as a backup right now is, is just such a luxury uh, for a situation where, you know, a guy like Brogdon goes down. We're talking about back-to-back games, over 10 assists for TJ McConnell off the bench. Some of the assist numbers he's had this month, 11, 10, 7, 8, 7, 7. So, I mean, he's had some some pretty big games. Uh, the Pacers from the field shot the ball well last night. Uh, so that was something that was was great to see after the Utah show. And the Pacers shot nearly 54% from the field last night. And 9 of 20 from 3. So I I thought they pretty much clicked on all cylinders defensively. 8 blocks, 8 steals. I felt like this was a game that just made things tough on Phoenix. A team that shot under 36% from the field. 
They made their first three-pointer at the end of the third quarter. So that shows the defense that Indiana was playing last night. It was everything that you wanted to see in a bounce-back performance. You know, TJ Warren was saying, you know, it was a lot of fun coming over to the Pacers, a family-oriented organization. Um, he, I think that might have maybe been a little bit of a shot at, uh, at Phoenix, but also saying that, you know, there was a lot of emotions going through him, but the second that ball went in the air, it was time to play basketball. And I love it because it, it, it makes sense. The guy spent five years there and they traded him for literally cash. The Pacers put up an awesome graphic yesterday. They ended up taking it down, but it showed TJ Warren stats, 25 points, three steals, three rebounds, and then on the other side, it showed cash, and it said zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists. I thought that was awesome. Clearly, someone said something, and they they took it down, but this Phoenix team, that they came in there. They're a top 10 offensive team across the board, which is you know not to say the usual for Phoenix they've known to not play defense but they're typically a better scoring team and a bad defensive team. Well, last night it was a little of both, but the Suns held to under 90 points just the second time on the year. So I felt like that was some old school NBA defense there. I'm a big fan of the old days where, you know, you did hold a team under 90. Now sometimes you got teams, you know, playing at 135 to 134 it looks like you're just going basket for basket but last night was a night that the Pacers responded like like we talked about before the Jazz game disgusting game Pacers came out flat well this was a game that they bounced back strong they've now won six straight against Phoenix so it's now you just kind of expect if you play Phoenix we're walking out of there with a win unless you come into Indiana then we walk out with another win so last night felt like it couldn't have gone better for the guys, especially TJ Warren. That was a lot of fun to see. And the Pacers, uh, with that win, jumped Philly in the standings. So the Pacers are back in fifth. They are now two and a half games out of uh, second right now. So things are uh, things are heating up. Obviously, just one game back of the Celtics right now, who are kind of free-falling a little bit. We're going to have uh, Keith Smith talk about that later in further detail. But for guys, uh, for right now, I'm going to say let's take a little break and we're going to bring on Eddie Gill next. All right, folks, we are joined by former Indiana Pacer and current Fox Sports analyst, uh, Eddie Gill. Eddie, how are you today? I'm great, Mike. I appreciate you having me on. Of course, of course. So, Eddie, a big fan of your playing days, in particular Indiana, but Right now, I mean, I got to give you credit for last night. I thought uh, you and JJ, friend of the show, were uh, both looking sharp. But I got to know, is it a little intimidating standing next to JJ and his strong suit game? Because that man does not play around. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it's always fun. I, I, I actually told him I, I liked his jacket that he had on, and uh, yeah, man, it's always it's always nice to. To, to, to wear something a little bit different, a little bit edgy, and um, yeah, be on TV while you got it on. Of course. Does it make you kind of up your style a little bit? Like, oh, I, I can't be having JJ just flexing on me like this. Like, I'm getting a new suit. <laughs> no, no, I'm uh, I'm content where I'm at. So, yeah, hey. it's it's uh, it's all it's all good. Oh no, I was digging this this style last night for sure. But let's. I figured we'd talk about to start your your NBA career because. Eddie, I mean, I was digging up some notes on you. Your road to the NBA, I mean, it saw you attend three different colleges. You eventually graduated from Weber State, home of Damian Lillard. 
and then you yep. went undrafted in the NBA. Describe your mind state. Did you ever kind of almost give up, or was that not even an option? No, that never crossed my mind. Um, yeah, it was it was it was quite the journey, um, but I trusted in myself and, and, and had great confidence in what I was able to do and in my ability. Um, you know, everybody has their own path, and, and mine was one that had a, a number of stops along the way and um, a number of no's along the way. But I, I tell you what, I, I was able to find a, a enough yeses as well. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't take it back or, or change anything that I did. Um, and and yeah, there was never a time that I would that I considered saying, "Hey, this isn't for me," especially especially that early on. Oh, for sure, and I'm happy that you grinded it out because there was quite a few yeses because your career ended up spanning over 12 seasons. I mean, seven in the NBA, you had stops in yep. the then development league, some overseas, and many times you get called up to an active roster, show some really great flashes, then maybe get assigned to the development league and dominate. I mean, I'm talking first overall pick a D-League All-Star, Player of the Year, champion. It seems like there's nothing you didn't do over there. But how thin is the level of talent between dominating in the now G-League and fighting for minutes on the active roster in the NBA? Yeah, I think um, I think the, the gap is, 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 uh, is close in some cases, and, and obviously in other cases it's probably a little bit more significant. But... Um... But the, the guys that are right there on, on the cusp of, of being in the NBA and, and not only being in the NBA, but also uh, getting in the rotation, you know, so there's a lot of guys out there that have that um, a, a chance to do that. But, you know, what they're waiting on is, is an opportunity, someone to give them a real opportunity um, to go in, go in, play some, some meaningful minutes. And, and um, you know, you, you'll, you see it now that there's guys that are doing that and they're taking advantage of their opportunity and showing, showing what they can do, whether they were an early first-round pick or – or fall out the draft completely. Um, I think there are guys that are able to go in there and, and show what they can do. No, you're completely right because the G League is being utilized way more now. I mean, they now have 28 teams, uh, and guys are going in there for just you know a quick tune-up if they need to, or they're staying down there really developing. And we've now seen guys become all-stars like Chris Middleton who spent time in the development league. So when you were doing it, it was not as common. So I give you even more credit for that. Uh, but I, what I thought was funny, the most unique stat that I could dig up on you was you scored the 8 millionth point in NBA history. Eddie, who comes up with this stuff, and did they let you know afterwards? I have no idea, but that's a great trivia there. I, I, I know, uh, I, I mean, I was aware of that when it when it happened. They, they told me after the game. Um, uh, I was playing with the Nets at the time. I'm pretty sure it was against the Celtics. And, uh, yeah, after the game, they, they told me, because at that time I was probably, I don't know, seventh or eighth man on on the on the Nets bench, and um, you know, obviously not very well known at all. <laughs> but that that particular night, they're looking at Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant, and you know Shaquille O'Neal, all these guys who were putting up major numbers uh, in the NBA night in and night out. They thought for sure that one of those guys would do it, and uh, <laughs> unfortunately, um, I was the I was the guy that did, to to do it, but. Um, it, it was, you know, that's that's fun trivia there for sure. Yeah, definitely. So you're telling me there was no plaque from the NBA after that? I'm still waiting. <laughs> exactly. I am still waiting. I'm going right. to have to go over to the NBA office and see if uh, Adam Silver's got something for me. Rightfully <laughs> so. Rightfully so. Uh, but uh, I don't know about uh, about other people, but I would say for me personally, and I'm imagining our listeners as well, 
they're going to best remember you probably from your time with the Pacers because obviously this is a Pacer, you know, dominant podcast, but also, you know, you played infamous, you know, the the game after the brawl. You played some solid minutes because everybody remembers that was the game where the Pacers only had six players against the Magic. Now, we had David Harrison on the show uh, last year. He talked about that game a little bit. But what was it like for you, kind of playing almost like when you're younger, where there's just six guys and you're getting full run all game? Yeah, it was uh, it was quite the experience. I was actually uh, it, it, on the court the night before in, in, the, well, in when the brawl actually happened. So, um, you know, and then the next night I ended up playing, I think, all 48 minutes. But yeah, exactly. I, I, just, I just remember the, the arena being packed, great energy in the arena, you know, supporting the six guys that were available. Um, you know, tough game against Orlando Magic. Uh, we came up short on the, on the, at the end of it, but, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an experience I'll, I'll never forget for a variety of reasons. But, um, you know, that, that team there just had to try to find a way to, you know, piece it together and, and, and kind of keep the, the ship afloat. Yeah, and for that night, you guys almost did. I remember that was a very close game. Uh, obviously known for being Reggie Miller's final season. Uh, you got to play with Reggie. Uh, you were on the Pacers for two years, I believe. So, a guy like Reggie Miller, I mean, was it Reggie or was there another veteran? Who was the guy who maybe took you under the wing like who did you learn the most from during your time in the league uh i was fortunate enough to to play and be around uh jason kidd mm-hmm. so just you know he's he's a hall of fame point guard and, oh, yeah. and a guy who could you know at his peak was was probably the best in the game um so i, I would say i was able to take some from him and as you mentioned i was i was made enough stops to where i was able to piece a little bit of everyone's experience together and, um, you know, create my own experience. Yeah, because when you were talking about playing on the Nets before, I mean, you're talking about the Nets who are in, like, that area where they made the back-to-back NBA Finals and also joining the Pacers who are just fresh off an Eastern Conference Finals. So these teams where you're battling for minutes, these were really good teams. These were not rebuilding teams. Yeah, I mean they were they were really really solid teams and and you know always when especially as a, as a young guy no matter which team I was on, um, you know not not knowing and being aware of the, the speed of the game the, the 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 size of guys in the game when I first got into the league that was one of the biggest differences and um, just seeing how to how to navigate that space on the court uh, especially at the point guard position most oftentimes I was the smallest guy on the floor so. Uh, you know, seeing how other smaller guards, um, seeing how effective they were, um, that was good for me to be able to, to observe and, and apply it to my game. A guy like Jason Kidd, I'm sure he could just teach you a ton, but kind of transitioning over to what you're doing now for Fox Sports Indiana. What was it like to make the transition from playing to now covering the team, and which former player is your favorite to see analyze games? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was quite the, uh, the adjustment and, you know, um, going from player to, to now analyzing and, 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 um, covering it and, and doing some commentating as well. It's, it's, it's a huge adjustment, <laughs> but, um, but, it, but, it, but it's been fun. It's been fun. I get, we got a great group of, of guys that I, that I work with, really enjoy uh, working with them. And, and, and anytime you, you're you're excited and, and looking forward to to working with guys. It always makes it that much of a 
a, a better experience. And that, that's what we have, you know, at, at Fox Sports Indiana with with that group. And uh, in terms of favorite guy that I like, a former player, um, that'd be a tough one to 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 think of. Uh, I think Jalen Rose does a, does a solid job. So he does. Um, you know, he, he's one that I that I think of right now. There's there's a, there are a ton out there, but oh, yeah. um, you know he's the one that that I think of just off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I love. I'm a big fan of the Jalen and Jacoby show. I, I think that Jalen really kind of. Mm-hmm comes full circle on everything where he's relatable, but he's also got great insight. So I think he does a great job with that. Can't go wrong with Jalen, also former Pacer. Sure. Um, now, exactly. our beloved Indiana Pacers. They're currently 29-16, and 16, good for fifth in the East, just two and a half games back of the second seed uh, right now. Who's impressed you the most this year? In terms of teams or players? No, 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 players on the Pacers, like maybe a newcomer or just oh, someone just in general. Yeah, the most impressive um, to me. I mean, that's a, that's a tough one because there's, a, there's a, you know there's you can choose from eight guys probably. I completely agree. But um, but um, that's if I had to pick one in terms of most impressive and in, in what they've been able to do is probably Malcolm Brogdon, mm-hmm. and and that's and that's just by virtue of we've never seen him play the point guard position, uh, and, and I know the difficulty that that comes along with that and the responsibility and the expectation, and he's a uh, I, I would say he's definitely fulfilled that responsibility and, and exceeded any expectations in terms of what he's been able to do at that position uh, for this team. So if I had to uh, pick one, I would go there. You see Malcolm's value on the court, but I feel like you see it even clearer when he's not on the court because this Pacers team is so much better with Malcolm Brogdon. And completely agree with what you are saying before. When the Pacers made the move to get him from Milwaukee, I mean, they didn't know, is this a, a, a true point guard? Is this kind of like a combo guard? The Pacers have seen that with George Hill in the past, but I feel like Brogdon has taken his game to the next level and is a big reason why the Pacers are where they are and where they can be moving forward. Uh, but as we're talking about right now, the team, Pacer Nation, they're buzzing like a swarm of bees, and I feel like this a lot of it with Victor Oladipo's return coming up, it just intensified. Uh, now, it's been over a year since his uh, injury, a ruptured quad tendon, but I love the route the Pacers took with his recovery. Same thing with Vic. They've been slow with it. Uh, I feel like he can get close to 100%. What can we expect from Vic as he returns to the court? Yeah, I think uh, one thing that we, we know um, just in his time with the Pacers is he's not afraid to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, he, as a matter of fact, it appears as though he, he embraces the work that he has to put in to, to better himself as a player and um, and what he's able to do for the Pacers. So I, I trust the fact that he's, he's done that, all the necessary rehab and therapy and uh, the treatments that go along with recovering from such a uh, strenuous injury. So uh, I expect to, to see him come back close to, if not the same uh, player he was, um, you know, prior to injury. Obviously it's going to take some time to mm-hmm. get some game rhythm and get game rhythm, game conditioning, um, and, and really gain some real chemistry with the with the, with the new group right now, but uh, I think ultimately we'll, we'll see him return to form. Can't wait for it. I'm happy that we still have about two solid months before the playoffs. Let him get a whole bunch of games underneath his, his belt, and I think the Pacers are going to benefit from the long absence. Uh, but right now, I feel like, at least myself. I love the true team basketball that they're playing on a nightly basis. Whether it's just 
They seem so deep. Every guy is doing their their part, whether it's someone stepping up. You know, the other night, T.J. McConnell, he's filling in for Brogdon when Brogdon goes out, and he gives us a double-double, and so many other examples. But what can they approve upon and take the next step as a team? What are they lacking? Uh, I think in terms of tangible improvements, you, you look to the the way they rebound the ball mm-hmm. right now. They got to get better uh, in terms of rebounding. They they struggled in that area. They've been able to, they've been able to cover it up with uh, playing really well in other offensive categories. So you, it, it it doesn't have as much of ill effect as of right now. But I think as you get closer to the playoffs, and in particular in the playoffs, uh, you, you can't allow teams to dominate you on the on the backboard night in and night out and expect to win those games um so that would that would be the biggest thing right, right now i believe the pacers are 17 and 1 when they out rebound their opponents so it shows how key of a stat they uh that can be uh right now i think it has been masked a little bit by sabonis's you know big rebounding numbers uh but if you can rebound more you can get fouled more right now the pacers are going to the line i think the fewest in the league if not second fewest so i think there can be a correlation there but uh, as we wrap up, outside of Milwaukee, which team scares you the most in the East? Uh, you know, uh, Philadelphia's talent, I think, is, is going to be a problem mm-hmm. at, at some point. They, uh, they've they been up and down and probably underachieved up to this point. I think so. So I think I think they they have a shot to be to be really good. And um, I, I, quite frankly, I love the way Miami and Toronto both play. They they don't have the the star power that they. Uh, that that some of these other teams may have, but they have a group of guys that, much like the Pacers, they play well together. They play really hard every single night, and um, and they they have you know pieces that just fit together real well right now. I think that's a that's a you know you got to tip your hat to Eric Spolscher and Nick Nurse because I think those guys have done fantastic jobs. I did not expect both of those teams to be as good as they are now. Uh, but last question: Where do you see the Pacers finishing up seed wise in the East? Just a prediction. Yeah, I, I think they got a, a solid opportunity to crack into that top four, whether it's three or four. Um, you know, only one, I think one and a half, maybe two games at a, at a second right now. So mm-hmm. I think two and that, a half that, at a second. There's, an, there's an opportunity right there. I think Boston, you know, if they continue to stay healthy, they're going to be really strong. So they may be uh, tough to, to, to get out of there as well. But, um, you know, this is barring any health issues. I think there's a legitimate opportunity to get to three or four. Having home court in the first round is going to be big. We've seen the Pacers go to you know a seven-game series in the past before, but being on the road, it makes all the difference. But, hey, guys, if you haven't already, you can catch Eddie on Fox Sports Indiana for the pre- and post-game coverage. He does an awesome job. Also, make sure you give him a follow on Twitter, at Eddie underscore Gill 4. Eddie, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it. You got it. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are with recurring guest of the show, friend of the show, Keith Smith. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Of course, of course. Always a fan when you come on, as are our listeners. So, Keith, um, I'd like to know, I mean, the Celtics right now, the the Pacers and the Celtics, they're they're in that you know tight log jam in the Eastern Conference right now. Celtics, they're four and six in their last ten after a strong start. What's what's going on over there? 
Yeah, it's part of it is just teams go through rough patches. You mm-hmm. know, I, I I went through and did some research. There was only I want to say three or four teams that hadn't uh, gone through at least one three game losing streak this year, and those were teams like the Bucks who have been dominant, even the oh, Lakers yeah. who were out you know off and running. They they went through a four game losing streak at one point this year, so that's a big chunk of it. They also haven't been healthy. They have been missing at least one, if not more, uh, key guys out of the rotation for just about every game this year. And that, that's that's tough, especially when you're kind of uh, rebuilding that chemistry after the way last season ended. So that's it's been a little bit hard. But as we've seen over the last couple of games, they really handled the Lakers with uh, relative ease mm-hmm. and, and beat them. And then they, they took out the Memphis Grizzlies who have been a surprise in the league again with, with pretty good ease there and, you know, two back-to-back blowouts. And now they've got a tricky road trip, Orlando, New Orleans, and Miami uh, all in a row there. And that's, that's uh, two playoff teams in the East and then another team that's fighting for a playoff spot in the West. So, so I think we'll, we'll get an idea. Unfortunately, again, health is a concern. Because Jalen Brown's dealing with a sprained ankle, uh, Jason Tatum strained right groin, so we'll see how healthy they are, you know, coming forward. But you now, if they get healthy, I think we've seen just how good they can be. Sure. Right now, the Celtics are in the fourth spot. The Pacers are in the fifth. That would be a rematch of last year's playoffs, which unfortunately was a Boston sweep. However, this is a far different Pacers team. A lot of new faces, but one of the new faces on the Boston Celtics this year is Kemba Walker. Now, can you describe the fits maybe on and off the court between Kyrie Irving and Kemba Walker? Yeah, sure. It's, uh, you know, one of the things that you look at when you look at those two guys, and I've said this ever since that was essentially the swap Boston made this summer, was that Kyrie Irving's a better player in a vacuum. There's no question about that. But unfortunately, you know, for for Kyrie fans and maybe Nets fans or whatever, basketball's not played that way. Fit matters. And for Kemba Walker on the court, he is a guy who can play off the ball. Kyrie Irving, for all of his you know incredible talents, is a guy who needs the ball in his hands predominantly almost all game long. And Kemba can do a lot of things off the ball. The Celtics run him off a lot of screens. He is a spot-up guy at times as they play through uh, Brown, Hayward, or Tatum. And you know that that really fits in quite well and then in the locker room he picked boston he wanted to be there he wants to be there with these young guys he knew what he was getting into so that's a huge difference too it was fran fraschilla who said before the start of the season having kemba walker come in every single day with a smile on his face is going to be a massive upgrade over what boston went through last year and so far that's proven to be true one of the smallest things that I love that Kemba did is he put together that New Year's party with the team. And I believe most, if not all, the team was there. And I just think stuff like that, it builds camaraderie, it builds chemistry. So I thought that that was something you just weren't seeing from Kyrie. But as we're talking about in the next, you know, it's coming up soon, all-star voting is going to be concluded somewhat soon. And right now the Celtics can have anywhere from one to three All-Stars. Kemba, I believe, is going to be the starting point guard in the East, while it seems like Jalen Brown likely gets the nod over Jason Tatum. Does Tatum have a strong case for Boston to be that third All-Star, even if the team is slipping a little bit? 
Yeah, three's going to be tough. I think there's just too many candidates. I think if you're going to get three, you need to be a completely dominant team, and all three of those guys really to be need to be no-brainers. And if it's close, we'll see. Now, I, I can see an argument for Tatum over Brown, only because Tatum has been just the better defender between mm-hmm. the two. He has done so much defensively this year that it is you know really ridiculous. It kind of gets lost in in you know his game just how good of a defender he is he can really defend anybody two through even the smaller fives he can hold his own and do do quite well so so you can make that argument but i I just i can't see them getting three i think that maybe would be a thing where if they get three it's going to be because whoever misses out out of brown and tatum is added as like an injury replacement late Mm -hmm. or something like that yeah, I could definitely see that. I think, uh, you know, offensively, Jalen Brown has, has been more efficient from the field. Uh, I think he's having a really good year. Both guys are very similar stats, both averaging just over 20. I think they're separated by like one point. The rebounds are very similar. Brown has the, the more efficiency going. But then you're saying, you know, Tatum's got the better defensive uh, play this year. So it really could go either way. I do think they have two All-Stars. Uh, but last topic on the All-Star voting uh, in terms of the fan voting, a guy on your team who has gotten just so much, so many votes, Taco Fall. Can Taco <laughs> be more than just playing mop-up duty? Because he's getting more votes than DeMontis Sabonis right now. Yeah, those votes are just, that's just silly. That's just people, you know, they like him and they think he's fun and they, you know, are basically, I think they're sitting around with, ah, I'm going to throw a vote his way. So there's no way, you know, I mean, that's, yeah. that's really ridiculous. He's played in like four NBA games and only garbage time for the most part. But, you know, Taco's coming along. He's got a long, long way to go. Mm-hmm. He is obviously massive. Yeah. He's such a huge guy. But the challenge is he's not real strong. So he can get, excuse me, he can get bullied a little bit. He can get pushed around. So that's that's a challenge that that he has to work with. Offensively, he doesn't really know what to do beyond be big and hang out around the rim. And quite frankly, when you're seven foot six, that's probably fine. That's probably enough. But I think you know for. For him, it's it's just about those reps. He needs those reps at a high level. He's done well in the G League. He actually played meaningful minutes in a game for the Celtics at one point a few weeks ago, and he looked okay during those times. So he's a guy you might see get a few more minutes as the season goes along, and you know maybe he'll you know develop a little bit more. But at this point, he's he he's pretty far away from being a consistent NBA player. I think so, and I think it's going to take a while. I think more than just this year. I think maybe next year we might start to be able to see a little bit of a progression over there. I think the G League's probably the best route, but kind of transitioning over to the team that's just one game back of the Celtics, my Indiana Pacers. Now, uh, what have your thoughts been with this Pacers team without Victor Oladipo? Yeah, I love that. For a second straight year, we're seeing this team really hang in there, and mm-hmm. you know, not not just hang in there, but be good um, without Victor Oladipo, and that that's that's tough. Now they had a really good offseason. They added a ton of depth, um, you know, across the board. Even though they lost uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, who's you know he's having a great year in mm-hmm. Utah, and that's a that's a big loss. They replaced him quite well with with TJ Warren, and he's good. I think they did a nice job opening up that starting spot for Sabonis for that. That's really, that's his spot now. Um, so I think that that's, you know, mixed well. And then Malcolm Brogdon, just a huge addition. And I think when you get Brogdon in the mix with, um, 
And when you put Oladipo next to Brogdon, that's going to be a really good backcourt. You've got two guys who can handle the ball, two guys who can pass the ball, two guys who can shoot the ball, get to the rim, do a lot of different things. So they're going to really fit well together. And then that's going to help the team because now then Jeremy Lamb's going to slide into a backup spot. Eventually, I, I'm kind of guessing Oladipo probably plays off the bench, uh, maybe a little bit to start just as they, they work it back in there. But eventually that that's just going to add your depth. And now, now all of a sudden you're going from a team that maybe has six, seven you know, good quality guys to eight, nine because of the offseason additions. The Holiday Brothers are playing well. So it's a team I really like. I, I also like the style. I like that they play, you know, a little different from other teams. They go a little big. They're, they're almost a little bit more of a throwback team mm-hmm. back always. to, you know, the, the, the 90s. Yeah, always, right? Um, you know, but they, um, you know, so, so I like that too. And I, I think, think it's interesting. I think matchups are going to be really important for them come the postseason because that's, you know, I can see them struggling with a team like Boston because that means either Turner or Sabonis is going to have to defend out on the perimeter. And that can be, be a tough ask at times, but on the flip side, you know, they, they could beat them up inside. So it's going to, it's going to be really interesting. I think, you know, I think they're, they're a team that, that is, you know, they're, they're positioned to make a lot of noise, you know, and it's now I want to caution. I think it could be a little bumpy bringing mm-hmm. Oladipo back just because it, it generally is when you throw a guy back in there who's been out that long. But, you know, maybe you sacrifice, you know, a week or two of, of good games and a couple of wins in there as you're really working him back in because that's the better play in the long run. But, yeah, that's a team I, I really like. I really enjoy you know, what they've done. And a lot of credit to Kevin Pritchard and staff for con- building a consistent and continual winner there in Indiana. Pritchard had just a great offseason, and he got very cost-effective moves. You know, when you mentioned we lost Bogdanovich, T.J. Warren comes in for cheaper, $11 million. He's under yep. contract for the next few years. Jeremy Lamb at $11 million per year. Also, just a few other moves. Uh, you know, got to tip the hat to Kevin Pritchard. But a little hypothetical question. Say the Pacers don't make a move because I don't think that they will. And others probably will be active come the trade deadline. Is it safe to call Oladipo's return maybe the biggest acquisition in the East? Yeah, it absolutely could be, you know, barring somebody else swinging a massive trade. It could be. I actually wrote about that for for uh, Yahoo Sports the other day, that Oladipo is, in effect, their, their trade deadline addition. They're never a team that's overly active at the trade mm-hmm. deadline anyway. Uh, Pritchard prefers to kind of build his roster and then let that roster be for the season, maybe a few small tweaks around the edges. But I think, yeah, well, what you're going to see with them is, I, I think I, I'm with you, I think they're going to stand pat and say, you know, hey, we, we've got our addition coming. You know, he's a, and you're going to get a little bit of a jump on it because he's, he's going to play in about a week or so is what it sounds like the plan is. So I think that's going to be really big for them, and that's that, that could be huge. That could absolutely, because I don't know that any of the other uh, contenders in that kind of group of six there in the Eastern Conference are going to make any kind of big, massive moves. So Oladipo definitely could be the biggest addition. Yeah, I mean, I really don't know many all-stars that are being uh, dangled right now for uh, or to be had. But right now, the Pacers, look, hey, while things have gone great, uh, I love where the team is. What do you think they're lacking right now? And maybe what might be their ceiling? Yeah, I worry a little bit about the backup big men behind mm-hmm. uh, Turner and Sabonis. And I know when you've got the two of them, you've kind of got your 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 uh, – uh, how do I put this? They're they're almost combined. They're the center 
And then you also are able to steal some power forward minutes, I guess is the best way I can put that. <clears throat> but beyond that, you're really you're relying on Goga Batadze a lot. And he's been a little hit or miss. He's yeah. you know, he goes from playing anywhere from five minutes a night to you know, 15 minutes a night, and that, that seems to be by design as they're working him in. Doug McDermott, yeah, he plays the four, but he's really more of a, you know, more of a, uh, you know, perimeter guy, a shooter out there. TJ Warren can slide up and play some power forward. I think he's going to have to do more of that will. with Oladipo back because that's how you're going to get your best guys on the floor. But that that's the only spot that I really see because they've got the wings, they've got the guards. You know, they, they've got more point guard depth than probably any team in the league Love right it. now that's not Oklahoma City, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, OKC's playing, you know, two point guards at all the time, and, and they've got a third who's really good. But <clears throat> those are the, the, the only thing I think, think bigs. And then, of course, everybody, no matter how good you are, it's added ed shooting. You know, everybody always wants to add another shooter, you know, one way or another. And I think they've got they've got really good shooting. But if they can find a way to add another shooter on the cheap, that'd be fine. But but like we said, they're probably not going to do too much. I really don't think they do. I think that the Pacers right now, they're not taking enough three-pointers. They're towards the bottom of the league. I think only uh, Golden State is actually, like, taking less threes right now. Um, so I think they're also rebounding. They're struggling. But I just don't know if that's worth jeopardizing what you have right now. I think just internally you need to just kind of pick it up a little bit, maybe get a little bit more volume on their pace. They're still playing that old-school basketball, like we mentioned, where they're not taking enough threes. Um, but your you're Boston Celtics, right now, what do you think they're lacking that they might address at the deadline, or what could they do a little bit better to try and break through in the East? Yeah, they need a bench shooter score. Um, mm. They they just they they the offense tends to fall off too much when they have to go to the bench and and they can really they know they can rely on Marcus Smart to do his thing off the bench and the Nennis Cantor's been fine. A lot of people think they they need a big and that was the narrative going into the season, but they've been fine. Daniel Tice has played really well. Cantor's given them excellent minutes off the bench. Cantor should be a guy who you know needs a little bit more love for six man of the year. That's how good he's been. And if they get Robert Williams back, now you've got that kind of athletic big who can go up and block some shots and go up and catch a lob and those kind of things. So really, it's a bench shooter score. That's what they really need because that's where they're going to struggle is in those games. If 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 one of Hayward, Brown, Tatum is struggling and the other guy, you know, one of the others isn't really knocking down shots, they can really get themselves in trouble. So that's something I think Danny Ainge is going to be active looking to do using smaller contracts. It's just they just don't have the real tradable contracts because mm-hmm. anybody who has a has a deal that can be moved is a guy they're not going to move because that's just going to create another problem somewhere else. So I, I, it's you know it's on its face. I think the more casual fans would say, well, they need a center. But that's, that's just not true. They need a shooter or a scorer off the bench far more. I completely agree with that. Gordon Hayward is kind of the contract that whenever people come up with their, you know, the trade machine ideas, that's always the contract that people want to flirt around. But I don't know if that's really going to bring in another all-star type guy right now, um, especially the money that he's making in his final year. But right now, a little rapid fire as we uh, wrap up. Uh, first thought when I when I ask this question, outside of Milwaukee, the East scariest team is... Uh, I'm still going to go with Philadelphia 
just because of the way they defend. I know as we're talking today, they're in sixth place and mm-hmm. they've had all these bumps along the way. But but when you get into the, I'm gonna believe them when they say they built a team for the playoffs. I, I think that that there is something to that. I just I do worry that when we get into a playoff series, can they find enough offense? Because you know everybody gets better defensively in the playoffs, and it becomes about being able to break your break your defense down off the bounce and make plays. You know, well, you know, off one on one matchups, and and I do worry that they might not be able to do that as easily as they need to. But but that the way they can defend and get after it's really tough. Why I hesitated, Toronto. Boy, they just—I love the way they're def- defending their title. They have gone out there. They—they—they kept that team together outside of Kawhi and Danny Green. We all, I think, kind of thought, well, there's a team that they could be in for a big, you know, sell-off of pieces approaching the trade deadline. And man, they're just getting after it every single game. And they're—they're just so much fun. So I really, you know, love the way they, they play too. So that's another team I would keep an eye on. Uh, I definitely agree. I was very much in a coma when it came to Toronto this year. I thought they'd take a step back, maybe sell off Gasol at the deadline. Um, But next question, the deepest team in the East is... Milwaukee yes. I it's it's unbelievable I I was doing some prep for some trade deadline work the other day and I was looking at kind of everybody's stat profile and really digging in a little deeper on the teams and and I don't know how many people know Giannis is the only player on that team who plays over 30 minutes a night <laughs> and he's just barely over it it's like like 30 point something 30.6 looking at yeah, it right now right? yeah it's unbelievable everybody else at least when I looked at this like a week ago, everybody else is under 30 minutes a night, which is just that, that that's incredible. And the fact that they're, they, they, they've done this and they are able to then kind of, even Giannis has sat out. Chris Middleton missed some time. They sit George Hill on occasion. Uh, Robin Lopez is sick right now, so he's not playing, but then they sat Brooke Lopez. They just kind of rotate through their guys. You can spot it. They just don't miss a beat. It's just absolutely incredible. No matter who's on the floor for them, they just keep that thing rolling. So I don't think there's a question that they're the deepest team in the East. I think so. Kyle Corver is like their eighth or ninth man, so you know they're doing pretty good over there. Um and right now, the team in the top six that will take a step back is, I think it might be Miami. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always nervous when teams rely on very young players. In the Heat, have Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, and Tyler Hero all playing major roles for them. Uh, and, and I'm a little bit worried. And I think, you know, I, I don't know what their next gear is. I think they have kind of played at the absolute max capacity that they can play at, which is very good. I'm just a little worried of, you know, what 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 is next with them? You know, do, do they have something else that they can go to? And I'm just not sure it's there for Miami. Uh, I completely agree over there because Miami is that team that, whether anyone says it, uh, they'd be lying if they say they predicted Miami would be this good. They have found diamonds in the rough that have produced for them. And I, I think at some point they have to take a step back. We saw they had a rough rough skid recently. They lost a couple games. Uh, I mean, I, I just think right now Jimmy Butler is doing what he can. But I think that they're probably going to be active on the phones to maybe bring in one other person. Obviously, you know Miami is always rumored in trades. That'll probably never change as long as Pat Riley is there. But last question, Keith, can I get your Eastern Conference Finals preview? Who do you have? 
Yeah, before the season, I had Milwaukee and Philadelphia. I'll stick with that for now. I'm less confident in Philadelphia than I was going into the season. I, I it wouldn't. They're really of the top six. I think the Bucks will be there, but any of those other other five teams, it would not surprise me if they got there. I think matchups in health are going to be more important this year in the Eastern Conference playoffs than they have ever that they have been maybe ever, but at least in the last you know ten fifteen years, it's going to be really important because you look at some of these teams and it's like, well, this team can beat this team, but they can't beat that team, and then you know, but that team can't beat this team. So I think they, that's really fun. And what makes that fun too is it's going to be, these teams are going to push all the way to the end of the regular season because none of them can afford to, to kind of coast in and say, ah, oh, we're good with whatever matchup we get. So, so that's, I'll stick with Milwaukee and Philly, but nothing's going to really surprise me outside of if the Bucks aren't there, that'll be a bit of a surprise. Keith, you got me knocking on wood for these injuries because like you said, if my Indiana Pacers get it together, because right now they're playing well, but Victor Oladipo is who he was, then I don't know if you can rule them out of things. I just think the one thing you can count on, I think Milwaukee's going to be there. So Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. And, and just one, one thing on the Pacers, too, is that it's, it's yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say Oladipo is what he was before this year just because I think it's going to take him a little year. But the nice thing is that team's set up to have a nice little run here of, you know, a two, three-year window uh, with the guys that they added. They locked up Damanis Sabonis to that really nice extension uh, mm-hmm. going forward. So so that team's set up nicely for the future, and that, that that's really important. It's, it's great that they're playing good this year, and I think they expected to be a pretty good team. And the fact that, you know, now Oladipo is going to come back, even if they still go out in the first round, it's not the end of the world because they're just set up really well down the line as Oladipo gets healthier and stronger and gets, you know, more back to his old rhythm. I think if we can get Oladipo putting up 17 points per game, Pacer fans will be more than content. They already have seven players right now averaging in double figures. He would be the eighth. So right now, I think a lot of fans are just like, just get me out of the first round. We've had, we've been, you know, getting knocked out in the first round the last few years. Tough series, you know, Boston without Oladipo, a seven-game series to the Cavs and LeBron. But I think that this is the year that they're at least getting out of the first round, and I'm hoping for more. But, hey, Keith, I want to thank you a lot for coming on the show again. Always great to talk basketball with you. Everybody, you could find Keith on Twitter, at KeithSmithNBA. Uh, Keith, anything else you want to share right now? Any recent articles like you mentioned before? Uh, yeah, just I got a lot of trade deadline stuff coming out for Yahoo Sports. Um, there you can find those right now. Up is the Eastern Conference buyers and sellers, Western Conference buyers and sellers. And we'll have a couple fun pieces I like to write every year in advance of the trade deadline, which are the uh, most tradable contracts and the least tradable contracts in the NBA. Those are you know, always fun pieces to put together. So, so be on the lookout for those coming soon. All right, Pacer fans, we are back, and I thought to end it, we'd give a little preview of the upcoming game against the Golden State Warriors tonight. Pacers take on uh, the Warriors, and this isn't the same Warriors team that we're used to. These Warriors, they're 10-36, and the worst record in the NBA. Guys, they are dead last in the NBA in field goal percentage, and just 26 in points per game, which honestly sounds like I'm lying to you, but I wouldn't do that, guys. Because this Warriors team went from first in field goal percentage last year and five straight trips to the finals to now looks like they're going to be picking towards the top of the lottery, which uh, some people might say is genius in a year where Steph Curry and Klay Thompson will not play. 
Well, the team that once had the Splash Brothers has become closer to more of the Sahara Desert right now because they are the only team to make less threes per game than our beloved Indiana Pacers. So I don't know if that is a good thing or a bad thing for the Pacers that were in the same category as Golden State in terms of threes. It just shows how far Golden State has come uh, since last year. And uh, I'm feeling pretty good about this one because, guys, they've lost 12 out of the last 13. And outside of a random four-game winning streak about a month ago, they haven't won back-to-back games at any point this season. So... No Steph, no Clay, but you are going to have D'Angelo Russell and Draymond Green. Still two quality players in the NBA, but come on. Let's be honest. Draymond's looking completely exposed. All right, this guy is looking now like a solid role player, but he was once thought of, hey, if you put him on a bad team, I feel like he could be a, quote, guy, you know, putting up some big numbers. And now it looks like he's just a good starting player that you'd like a third or a fourth option but what we're seeing right now a couple people are being exposed uh right now D'Angelo Russell is having a career year however I feel like he's not making anywhere near the same impact as he did last year with Brooklyn getting them into the playoffs I mean he was the face of that team now it kind of seems like no one really cares it's a lost year right now uh for Golden State at times they've looked beyond lifeless they have 14 losses by 15 or more. I mean, they're 7-16 and 16 at home. I know they're not playing at Oracle anymore, but that used to be one of the toughest places to play. Um, but hey, look, for the Pacers, what do we have to know about this game? Uh, Brogdon, in my opinion, is probably going to be out. It's, it's not going to be announced by the time that this episode is released, but my guess, Brogdon rests. This is kind of the game where you want to give him a little bit of a break. Like I mentioned, it is Golden State. I think we could afford to rest Brogdon, which is going to help D'Angelo Russell, unfortunately. I think he'll get a boost over there. But we're also going to see former Pacer fan favorite Glenn Robinson III. He's enjoying a career year for Golden State right now. He's averaging just over 12 points and 5 rebounds, shooting 46% from the field, 39% from 3. That's awesome to see because... Glenn Robinson was one of those guys that would be in and out of the rotation. You know, you liked him for his 3 and D. I remember when he had that game winner against the Hawks years ago. Uh, But for now, I feel like this Golden State team, I don't want to say you can overlook them because every game in the NBA is tough, but this is a game that I feel like we can still win without Brogdon. Um, Eric Pascal, he's been someone who's put together a very solid rookie campaign. He's averaging 14 and 5. He's probably going to make an all-NBA rookie team, whether that's first or second. I'd probably have him in a, in a top five rookie right now. Uh, my prediction is that the Pacers win this game 111-101. And I'm calling it now. And come at me if I'm wrong. Jeremy Lamb bounces back. He's scoring in double figures. I think Lamb gives us 12-14 to 14 in this game. Uh, so right now, what do the Warriors do better than the Pacers? Not much. Uh, they they are a little bit better of a rebounding team. Other than that, uh, they get more steals per game than the Pacers. But the Pacers right now, I think that outside of that Utah game, they're really starting to click. Obviously, Victor Oladipo is on his way back, and we will talk more about that next week. But for right now, as we're trying to get through this Western Conference road trip, Golden State, I'm sorry. 
but we're taking you down. Guys, I want to thank you for, for tuning in uh, today. Uh, this has been uh, a action-packed episode. Uh, shout out to Eddie Gill as well as Keith Smith for coming on the show. Hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, please give us a follow if you already aren't on uh, Twitter, at SendingThePage3, and on Instagram, at PacersTalk. Uh, love a rating review. Love to hear from you guys. But at the same point, remember, let's go Pacers.